1: back. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, we are back. And so is the crypto rally. As Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies surge today? The co-founder of Ethereum says something just happened that could add more fuel to the fire. He'll be here on set. Plus, the Oracle of Omaha speaks, and we listen. So what is Warren Buffett buying right now? We'll hear his comments that had all of Wall Street talking, and some of our traders speculating on his next big target. But first, when we were last on air, the markets were going nuts. So crazy, in fact, we were making demonic references to 666 over aqua Music. We were playing compression shots of the Dow falling 1,000 points, not once, but twice. Even Rick Santelli was getting in on the action, pointing fingers and foaming at the mouth. But then... <laughs> it went dark for two weeks while the olympics took over and something really strange happened
2: honey wake up you you won't believe the dream i just had
1: maybe it all was just one crazy dream because everything is awesome again while we have been gone the market has been in the midst of making an epic comeback now up almost 10 percent from the lows oils rallying, even bonds are starting to rally so is everything awesome again? And are we heading back to all-time highs? Guy Donnie. Uh, welcome back, Mel.
3: It's
4: good to
1: welcome see you. Welcome back to everybody, Feels right? It's good
3: to be here. Great By to be way, back. Who sings that song, Guy, for the folks at home? Whoever, just get she, him going. Whoever
5: sings that song Teagan should never
3: sing Sarah, <laughs> Teagan and Sarah, awesome.
5: Everybody's awesome. Awesome. Everybody's whoever, anyway, nice I think. Who? Tegan and Sarah. You still it. Everything's awesome. Whatever. Anyway. It's nice to be back. Dan, it's in be in back.
4: Tim,
3: Pete, you. It's,
4: it's nice. Nice. A couple of Fridays <laughs> ago, the S&P traded down the 200-day moving average bounce. We had a very similar day that we saw February 2016. And we all collectively said... Great trading opportunity to play from the long side. Being completely honest, I never thought now a week and a half, two weeks later, we'd be where we are now. To me, it's, it's much too far, much too fast. But you know what? I've been thinking that the last two or three days. On top of which, by the way, last Thursday, if that wasn't the head fake move of all time where the market rallied up on the back of the Fed news, then closed 150 Dow points lower, that to me signaled maybe we topped out and retest those lows. Tony Dwyer said it today, I'll say it again, I think there's a very good chance we do, but quite frankly, it's hard to... Say that in the wake of what's happened. So,
3: so, think about the Treasury curve. If this has all been about rates, we're actually now lower or we're in line on the 10-year from that fateful yeah. day on, I believe it was February 2nd, where we got that payroll number that was hot. Then we had the CPI number, et cetera, et cetera. The VIX is back to that level, still elevated, but at 16 and a half. So, this is where people are starting to, to kind of draw their playbook. By the way, Fed's Powell speaks tomorrow in front of the House Financial Committee. It will speak again on Thursday. We've got CPI data on Wednesday. So, although the Treasury curve has really been the catalyst, I think, for equities over the last week. Um, I think, you know, there's some minefields ahead. It's it's not not straight-sailing guy, and I think the reality is that equities uh, at a 3% 10-year are not cheap.
1: But interestingly, taking a look at the bounce-back rally, I mean, the characteristics of the market rally that had taken us to that point in time really remain intact. We're still seeing the leadership of technology a narrow leadership. Credit markets are pretty well behaved still. I
0: think it's worth uh, noting that the S&P is still 3% from those all-time highs. And what were the stocks that actually made new all-time highs first? It was Amazon. It was Boeing. Uh, You know, it was the stocks that were actually driving a good part of the rally in January. J.P. Morgan, again, um, you know, made new all-time highs within the last week. So the S&P hasn't done that yet. I I would take a little issue. I'm not so certain this this sell-off in equities had a whole heck of a lot to do with rates. Everybody had been talking about the 10-year going to 3%. I really do think it was just letting some air out of a very complacent and nearly euphoric situation in January, after we had that tax cut, after we had the anticipation of infrastructure. And to me, I think it was really healthy. Do I think it was so healthy that we had such a quick V-bottom and now we're really? Well, that sounds when that sounds really highs.
3: easy, though, Dan. I mean, and and to think about it, I mean, ultimately, it, rates are. You can't tell me equities at a 3% 10-year are the same by they were at a 2% 10-year right, and I, volatility. I in 2013,
0: Tim, the 10-year was at 3%, and the S&P was at 1850. So to me, I, I'm the, just saying. the S&P
3: is now at 28. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it's not the same market. I hear you, but it sounds like you're saying you can tie it up on a nice little ribbon and keep moving.
0: No, I'm saying I think that the likelihood of a breakout from those prior highs and then we continue to go much higher is probably going to be very difficult when you consider the fact that it was the same stocks in January that were driving a good part of the S&P's gains that have led them back now. So to me, I actually think you're going to see more dispersion in stocks, okay, and you're going to see less of this high correlation like we had seen in most of 2016 with very low volatility. I'm
6: smiling mostly because I agree with almost everything Dan's saying, which is highly unusual for us, right? I mean, oftentimes... I look at you and I go, you guys I get what you're
0: talking about. You guys want to get a hug? The one
6: thing I would say is, the, you know, we talked about this throughout the last month or so, is the velocity of the moves in various parts of the market. The velocity of the move, in, in particular, in the tenure, And that move, as it flew to the upside, that makes markets very, very nervous. Grinding and pushing and plotting, that I think the markets actually can digest that much better. But... I agree with almost everything you're saying. Looking for a little bit of the air to come out of the balloon, but then it creates the opportunity, Mel. I mean, when we just got through the majority of these earnings and we got the facts, the fundamentals, and suddenly you look at Apple trading from 170 well, to 150. Tell me what the Why opportunity
1: is. But tell me what the opportunity is is if the fundamentals, of the market, and the shape of the market and the leadership of the market are the same as when we went into the sell-off. If nothing changed about what hap- what drove the markets higher then can we actually say that that was a constructive sell-off? Well, I, I would say... I would. I mean, are we I would, back at that same in place? In all honesty,
6: that- I'm not sure that I would call it a constructive sell-off. As a matter of fact, I would call the sell-off much more about algorithms and computers and bots and different programs that are set up that use momentum. And the width of those markets, I, I was... Big into this whole the last couple of weeks watching this thing. When you have bid ask spreads that are as wide as they are and people are panicked and suddenly you hit a bid, when you hit a bid that is much different than those tight bids, enough that's what causes the panic because people are getting filled at terrible prices.
4: Yeah, and, and I and I maybe Tim misunderstood, maybe I wasn't clear, it's probably the latter, but I do think there's a potential for a retest in this market. You know, the VIX is back down to you said. 15 and a half 16 does that have a little room to the downside. Pete would say correctly that the, probably the VIX has given you another shot, quite frankly on the downside, and I would agree with that. I can't believe we're going to have that textbook of a move where we trade down the 200-day moving average in the S&P and then off to all new highs and nev- nothing has changed. I do think there's still some uh, s- there's still some fear factor left so in there.
6: So the one, one last thing I'd like to just say uh, real yeah. quick on v- the velocity in this market is volatility. How long did we actually stay above 20 on the VIX? We were there for, for two weeks. Yeah. No, But that's not a while. Normally, you'd expect that to take much longer. We got up to 50. We closed at 37 on one occasion. That volatility absolutely spiked. Everybody around the world, including Jim Cramer, talked, Cramer, talked about, oh, my goodness, all these inverses and all the rest of this stuff and the volatility. And yet it lasted from February 2nd to February 14th. And the next day we so dropped under the 20.
1: is the consensus here that the sell-off didn't last long enough? Well, the snapback is too fast. Well, let me, let me, think, I don't think. So. Can I ask market? a different
3: question? What if okay. Powell tomorrow says, you know what, we actually think the economy is chugging along and we're a little concerned about um, some wage pressures and we think that inflation is something that may be a bigger factor than we said? Market do you think the do. market is going to be very happy? I think the market's going to be down four, five hundred I think, the, well, yeah. yeah. I think, I think the same algorithms points. to Peace Point that
4: started this on the back of comments like that, if they were to come out, which by the but way, they're are justified. not justified. But those comments that Tim just said, given what's going on in the world, are 100% justified.
0: I'd be more concerned. If he didn't say it, Uh, but he's not going to say it. Okay, he's not going to spook the markets the first time he opens his mouth.
1: The thing is that there's Q&A. He's Uh going to be asked. And 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 this wow. is a guy that may right, not be
0: I, as deft at, at answering those can, questions. Can I, can I just add one more. one thing not to good. her question? Is that let's look at the Russell two thousand. Okay, so this was an, an industry that was expected to be um, obviously a big beneficiary to tax cuts, that sort of thing. But what has happened as rates have gone higher? It's kind of counteracted that in investors' minds. It's really underperformed. It's only up one and a half percent on the year versus the Nasdaq one hundred. Now that's up about seven eight percent, that sort of thing. So I think you want to keep an eye on the Russell and the underperformance there because I think that may be a better indicator of how investors are viewing risk in the market rather than focus on these 10 leaders that we know have done a ton of heavy lifting.
3: But that doesn't sound so great, Dan, it because doesn't. again, sm- small... It doesn't. Okay. I get? mean, I'm not... So, yeah. so small caps really should be in Goldilocks here, because you have a case here where not only are small businesses being helped by this tax deal, but actually you have a case where rates are still very, very low. Unemployment is where it is. Wages are going higher. So I, I agree. Look at European equities. I mean, European equities have been in, in a terrible space. The DAX is only up about 5.5% off of those lows with the dollar weak during this time, you know, some things aren't fully healed.
1: Right. Well, despite the broad rally, there are two big industry groups that have fallen and can't seem to get up. Our next guest says that could spell more trouble ahead for consumer stocks. Chartmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is over at The Plasma. Hey, Carter.
2: Hi, guys. Great to see you. Great to be back. Um, interesting, yes, cars and homes. I mean, this is a big part of GDP and a big part of the market, and they just don't act well. If you think about it, they weren't uh, performing in line with the market leading up to the swoon. They underperformed during the swoon, and they've bounced less since the bounce uh, post-swoon. Uh, I wanted to look at three ETFs and then sort of drill down. I've got uh, auto ETF, cute symbol, cars, 34 stocks. It's everything you could possibly imagine. Home construction, ITB, and then home builders. Now, there's some overlap in these two. So if you net out the uh, double counting, you've got 90 stocks, and the whole thing is worth $1.8 What i tried to do here is, plot all 90 stocks equal weight as though it were an index, uh, a basket. So first, let's look at the names just to uh, put this in context. These are the leading uh, names that are in the cars um, ETF, but it's not only Toyota and Daimler, GM, Ford, it's, it's Tesla, it's Nissan, it's um, Subaru, it's Porsche, it's Ferrari, it's all of them. Um, now, here, for instance, are the biggest holders in the home construction. You've got Lennar, D.R. Horton, N.V.R., and down today, down today, Pulte toll. Now, the um, XHB is a broader aggregate, and it's got home builders in it, but it also has things like Home Depot, up only 11 cents today, Lowe's, Johnson Controls, Williams, Sonova, uh, Whirlpool. So, if I were to take all 90 stocks and plot them as a basket, that $1.8 trillion, this is what it looks like. And I think you can draw the lines one way like this, which is that's a fairly well formed head and shoulders top. And, Those typically are resolved by lower prices. Now, let's take away the lines, and I want to look at the bounce of late. Now, I, on trend, and it's come down to trend, and it's sort of bouncing, but here's the issue. The bounce, the sell-off in line with the market, but more than the market, and the bounce, remember, the market has bounced all the way back to here. Now, to put that in, in optical context, look at the next chart. So here's the same thing. So even as we're going up, absolute, albeit barely. Look at the relative performance to the S&P. It's making new lows, which means it's not bouncing. Money's not going into this area of the market. It's it's a problem. Um, Mm. Keep going. So here's the chart. Again, I think you can draw the lines like this. And what I'm expecting is that this is the beginning of something not good. And most of these stocks really underperformed badly today. I think it's an area of the market that speaks to rates, among other things, but I do not want to be overweight or even long most of this stuff.
1: Carter comes over. Oh. Carter's, Carter's over. Come on. Cars and oh, carpets. man, kidney. You. So <laughs> I'm glad you looked good. Well,
2: so
6: do
1: <laughs> you. So head and on shoulders that. on this equal weighted basket of right. stocks. How does the overall market bounce look?
2: Well, so, so think about it. We have parts of the market, typically things that we're leading going into the sell-off. XLK made a new high today, right? So the leadership, if you look at the pure growth versus the pure value. But what's really starting to happen here is that we're getting a lot of stocks that haven't come back at all. Certain energy names not bouncing. Big assets like UPS, uh, certain broken-down healthcare names. So we're starting to really separate. And that, that ultimately would imply that while the market can bounce, to make a new high that's enduring, the odds of that are pretty low.
3: I guess my question though is I look at financials and this is you know grabbing you know classic kind of analysis, people want to see cyclicality in transports, they want to see they want to see financials and they want to see tech. Tech and financials were were beasts during this pullback. And 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 if anything, financials look fantastic here.
2: Right. Except what's interesting is if you were to look at um, so-called so value, which is what this is, right, home building and that kind of thing, they are still underperforming. So there's an index you can look at, and there are ETS for it. It's the S&P 500, pure growth and pure value. The bounce off the low in the pure value is only up 8%. Um, the pure growth is up 12%, 50% better. It's the same things that we're leading are going to continue to lead. And, and I think, well, banks, I mean, they've done okay. They're not, they're not going to win the race. I just don't see that.
4: February 10, 2016, the S&P trades down to 18.10 that day. That was the day that JP Morgan announced, Jamie Dimon announced he's buying stock. S&P closed higher on the day. Never look back. Never I bring looked. that up. Does this past uh, event look anything like that? And could we just be in for another V-shaped move right back to all-time highs?
2: Well, that's what you, know, as you guys were talking about before uh, I did my drawings up there. And that is the issue. And I could tell you, uh, certainly in my dialogues with clients, it is literally split. There is a full half of the market that believes, Normal. It was it was caused by volatility instruments that aren't real, and most people didn't even sell anyway. The big mutual funds, and then we're just going to go on and make it. Up. And then there's an equally an important crowd that says, "Listen, when a big noise and a thing goes off in your basement, you can ignore it, or you go down and check it out. Something changed." How do the charts resolve the the two sides? Yeah, my my hunch is no new highs.
1: No new highs. Yep. All right, Carter. Good to see you. Thanks, guys. All Carter awesome. nice. worth Cornerstone Macro. Pete, what did you do today?
6: You know, uh, there's been activity across different parts of the marketplace each and every day. And some of them, you know, energy. You know, Carter talked about it. You you guys talked about it a little bit earlier and some of the underperformance. ExxonMobil actually started to finally find a little bit of feed underneath it. I bought some last week. I added some today because I continue to see paper flowing into there.
3: Look at what's going on in agriculture and ag commodities, the ag lag and some of these equities, Mosaic, uh, CF, even a, a COSAN, CZZ ticker down in Brazil, ethanol. I mean, watch this stuff because soy's making
0: highs, wheat's making highs things you should follow. Dan? You know, Walmart's interesting, you know, talking about the volatility. Here's single stock volatility for fundamental reasons except for the fact that this stock went from 90 in November to 110 just in January. Now it came back to that 90 level to me. I think there's a lot of support at 90. You want to use that as a stop with a stock here at 93, but I bought a little bit today. I'm looking for a play back to mid to high 90s. Larry McDonald did
4: extraordinarily thoughtful work on what Tim just said. I encourage you to read it. And chips have really – got to tell you, look at the move in Micron over the last couple weeks. The chip stocks, although sold off in that whole frenzy, really didn't get hammered. They're almost back to levels that we saw – Pre-sell-off, I think chips go higher.
1: All right, coming up, it's not just a stock comeback. Cryptos are on fire and something just happened that could have all the coins heading straight to all-time highs. The co-founder of one of the largest coins, Ethereum, will be here to explain. Plus, General Electric trading below 15 bucks a share as the company's problems continue to mount. But is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Jim Cramer will be here to sound off. And later, Dropbox just filed its IPO, and a herd of unicorns could be right behind it. We will tell you which company could be the next big IPO and which company should stay private as long as possible. Good to be back with you all. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
5: The accounting uh, at GE has not been a model uh, at all in in recent years. Uh, uh, But... You can make mistakes in something like insurance reserving, big time. And long-term care has probably been the biggest single uh, uh, element of misreserving in insurance throughout the industry. Uh, and they were in it big time. And and uh, uh, I was, but I was staggered by the amount of it.
1: That was the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett, talking to our Becky Quick on Squawk Box today about the slew of problems at the once great General Electric. He also added that he sold his small stake in the company at about 29 bucks a share. That's a nice trade, Warren. But uh, how much worse can it get from here, guy? We actually saw GE touch 13 and change. 13.95,
4: change. actually. I think it was a seven-year low, but the stock closed higher and it traded about one and a half times normal volume. So maybe, just maybe, with this news, which was awful, by the way. Maybe this was a kitchen sink in terms of news for the stock, and maybe Tim's going to wind up being right. I've been negative in this name for a long, long time. I think most of us here have been for good reason. But when you have a day like today where it should have cratered and it didn't, albeit the tape bailed it out, at least now you have something to trade against in the form of a $14 low. All right, hold on one
1: second. We've actually got some breaking news here. It's a Kramer alert. There it is. Jim Kramer joining us now from the set of Mad Money. And we love curling, but we do love you, Jim. It's great to see
7: you. Oh, great to see you, (laughs) Melissa, and the gang. And I'm glad we're all back on. It feels terrific. Thank
1: goodness. Jim, what are your thoughts on GE right now, where it's trading, how it traded today for that matter?
7: Well, I think that it's true that it had a reversal day, and I do think also Guy's right. A lot of people are negative. I I was too positive for a long time. My worry here is is that Warren was really top of his game today, and what he was saying is, look, we made a mistake. His own company made a mistake just last year, uh, mispricing the risk of long-term care policies that they insured for AIG. And I think what he basically said was, look, GE, no matter how good John Flannery is, This is just an intractable issue. And when I hear that, I think, well, when will they ever get a dividend from GE Capital? When will they able to put this area, this whole issue behind them? And I'm not satisfied that it is behind them yet.
1: So it's a value trap versus a value trade at this point?
7: I think John's doing a terrific job. I mean, what a hand he's been given. Aerospace, he's really turned around. Healthcare, he already had turned around. But these liabilities, whether they be pension or, in this case, long-term care, particularly unfathomable. And if Warren Buffett says that he, his company, the best insurer ever, misjudged the risk, why should I think that John Flannery hasn't done the same? Even though he's got a better board, even though he's doing a lot of right things to make things, I'd say, more accountable, this issue is... It, it's befuddling everyone, and that's negative.
6: Hey, Jim, quick question for you. You talked to Flannery, also talked about the potential of being three core businesses. Is that the right direction? I think so, but do you agree with that? I totally agree with him.
7: Yeah. And I look, I think. If, if he didn't have such nagging problems, he's approaching everything, right? And I don't want to bet against him. But my problem is, is that I was watching, a lot of us, it, when Warren started talking this morning and he talked about what GE's been kind of blessing. It was, it was kind of not real, a little opaque, but said they're with Kansas. Kansas is the state regulator that checks off on this stuff. But what, what really what Warren made me feel was like there's going to be even more cash involved than GE may think. And what that says to me is that's something, John, John Flannery can't control. What he can control, I think he's doing a very good job on. J.C., can you control the following
4: thing? Your Eagles won the Super Bowl. It's now a month or so later. Has the, is the bloom off the rose? Have you come <laughs> down from that high? Are you looking forward to, to, the, to the draft? I mean, talk to me about the
7: birds. Talk to me about Atlanta? which is when we will, at that point, maybe not be the champ. Uh, Look, I am on a high from it every single day. I I was in Italy, and every day I got up, and I still put my Eagles hat on, not that they knew what that is. I think, as you know, particularly, Pete, as you know, these are things that change your life. Uh, I, I cried like a baby after we won, and... Uh, and and I, I, you know what? I'll do it again. I just think that this is a team that is my psyche. Uh, the city's my psyche. And I can't be more proud of these guys in the team management. Just fantastic.
1: All right. Terrific, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good Thanks to for see you. Me. I miss so you guys. Sure. really
7: do. Thank miss you. Miss you
1: too, Jim. And, of course, stick around for more, Jim. That's Mad Money tonight. Starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Big show. All right, so you're in GE. How do
3: we come back to GE after that? This well, is tough. I mean, yeah. I, guys, there's nothing I can say that's going to top that. Look, um, I, I think getting the 10K out there on GE does a couple things, though. I, I don't think there's a smoking gun. I think it's a company with a ton of problems. But I think the lack of information was something that was very concerning in terms of long-term care and issuance. And I think, you know, the more information we get here, they got $15 billion in new credit lines. I don't think the company needs capital.
0: Well, I just think also Jim said something that's really important for people at home over there. There's no reason to jump in right here. And, you know, one consistent mistake that I've made throughout my career is buying things too early that I thought were cheap, and that's why you mentioned as a value trap, we're shorting things too early that I think are
6: expensive. Well, at the very top of the show, we talked about one thing. When you get the sell-off, what do you look for? You look for the great opportunities that are out there that are getting oversold. GE is not in that category. It's going down for all the right reasons. I think Flannery has the right idea with the three core businesses and trying to set up all this stuff, but this will take time. So there's so many other opportunities between now and then. I think it's better to be somewhere else.
1: All right. Still ahead. Dropbox officially filing for an IPO that could be worth $10 billion, and the move could unleash the rest of the unicorns. One of the early investors in Airbnb and Pinterest will be here to tell us what he thinks the next big IPO could be. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Well, overall, is Berkshire a net buyer or a net seller of stocks right now?
2: It was the interview that stopped Wall Street and sent investors into a tizzy. We'll tell you what names our traders think Warren Buffett's buying right now. Plus, Bitcoin is on fire. And something just happened today that could mean even more gains to come for the crypto space. The co-founder of Ethereum will tell us what that is when Fast Money returns.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. A mega deal in the crypto world could bring in a new wave of retail investors into the space. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with more on this. Hey, Bob.
5: Hello, Melissa. Circle runs a cryptocurrency platform that allows large traders to trade Bitcoin. Today, they announced a deal to buy Poloniex. That's an exchange that allows trading in a large number of cryptocurrencies. Now, this is potentially an important deal for two reasons. First, it's fairly large. It's said to be worth about $400 million. That's large for crypto. But perhaps more importantly, it may help improve perceptions. Now, here's why. Crypto observers have often noted to me that these crypto-to-crypto exchanges have a lot of legal and regulatory issues. We know that. And that causes a lot of potential investors, particularly the retail investors, to be very reticent about getting involved. Now, Circle buying Poloniex may help give the industry a little more credibility. First, Circle has management credibility. And second, and perhaps most importantly, it has a bit license. That's a license to trade cryptocurrencies from the New York State authorities. That's important. All this may help give confidence to the market. Now, Circle, of course, is helping, uh, hoping that it will improve their product and drive more business for them in particular. But the big issue is, does this Circle Poloniex tie-up create a legitimate challenger to Coinbase, which is the big guy in the space? Uh, some feel that it does. So They say Circle has raised as much money as Coinbase. That's true. It's got legitimate backers. That's true. Goldman Sachs is behind this, too. It's got almost as many employees. It's got multiple products. It's got that regulatory license. And now with Poloniex, it has one of the largest exchanges that's out there. They seem to be saying there is room for another player in the space. Now, with regards to retail investors, Circle has communicated plans to introduce a retail-focused app. But they also want to host tokens that can represent anything of value. And this is from their press release this afternoon, including real estate, art and literature, credit, futures and more it's a pretty ambitious agenda. We'll see if they can carry through on that. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Bob. Thank you. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. For more on the future of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, let's bring in Ethereum co-founder and founder of Consensus, a software company based on the Ethereum platform, Joe Lubin. Joe, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Um, so just can you break down Consensus? This is sort of it, it makes that interface a little bit easier. In terms uh, of using consensus
8: builds software, uh, mostly in the Ethereum ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, we Uh, build software for corporations, for governments, uh, enabling us to move from siloed walled garden systems to shared, trustworthy, uh, fluid, collaborating infrastructure. Uh, We also build a lot of the uh, infrastructure for the public Ethereum ecosystem, enabling us to process around 6 billion requests per day from the public system, and we build lots of applications on the Ethereum platform.
1: In terms of the platform, people will say that the cryptocurrency that is aligned with that platform, so Bitcoin to blockchain, Ether with Ethereum, yeah. uh, that the success of that currency, that's sort of like the first app that exists on that platform. To what extent is, are these uh, currencies and the success of the currencies a referendum on the success of the underlying platform?
8: Yeah. So first, um, Bitcoin was the first application in the blockchain space. Okay. Um, many people uh, realized that there should be many more applications built on this shared trustworthy infrastructure. So uh, we don't consider Ether a cryptocurrency. We consider it a crypto fuel because you need to pay small slices of Ether uh, every time you run a program or store information on public Ethereum. Uh, And it is indeed uh, a referendum on the success of the platform because uh, uh, demand obviously drives... uh, uh, the price of the token and uh, uh, there has been demand.
0: So, so Joe, it's been a pretty frenzied almost year and a half now in the currency space, but it seems like there's a lot of companies like yours that are actually finding a massive market with big, large institutions who want to implement this sort of technology. So to me, it seems like investors are thinking like this is like late 90s internet sort of thing, but I keep hearing developers saying, no, 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 no. you have to take it a step back here. We're like late 80s. kind of. Where are we and, and when will they converge?
8: So let's call it mid-90s, um, <laughs> it is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely the case that uh, uh, like the internet, like the world wide web, uh, there was a period in which um, corporations weren't comfortable using the public internet and they used uh, intranets, basically the same technologies, but um, more private, more secure. Uh, we're seeing that uh, with many large institutions. We work with uh, uh, quite a few of them, uh, including governments. Um, we're seeing them uh, get their toes uh, a little bit wet uh, with the technology in a private permission context while lots of developers are building out uh, many different kinds of applications on the public blockchain, which can also be used on these private permissioned uh, infrastructures.
1: In terms of the industries adopting Ethereum on w- as a platform on which to build various contracts or whatnot... Which industries are you seeing the most adoption that you're most surprised by? And has that changed over the past few months? Have you seen new industries really come at it hard and say, this is something we're really looking at right now that they weren't looking at a few months ago?
8: Sure, so I'm not surprised that any industry is (laughs) uh, interested in using this breakthrough technology. Um, Early on, the financial industry banks uh, essentially jumped into this. uh, uh, Partly, perhaps, they were concerned about disintermediation, but I, I think mostly they were interested in the efficiencies, the new business models that that it would afford. Uh, We're seeing every industry jump into this, Uh, any industry that wants to move from siloed infrastructure uh, to um, essentially collaborating uh, with their competitors uh, within their sectors or industries across industries, any sort of value chain um, that uh, can uh, house shared infrastructure for many different actors that want to compete but also collaborate, um, that's perfect for this technology.
1: So shipping, uh, utilities. Uh, So so
8: supply chain, energy, insurance, banking, healthcare, education, uh, we're seeing it everywhere. Everything
1: under the sun. Joe, it's great to have you with us. We hope you'll come back. Joe Lubin. Of consensus, also a co-founder of Ethereum, this is one that you have been in.
3: Yeah, and 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 again, it's because it's that platform that so much can be built on. And and I think it's interesting. You know, you talk about you know IBM's role with Maersk in building you know essentially a, a crypto to decentralized platform for the entire shipping network that they're involved in. Um, Joe quickly mentioned that he's working with governments. I mean, you know, one of the things, I, it's not proof of concept. The issues right now are all about regulation. To me, that's the biggest risk right now, and obviously it's the biggest thing that you need to see at the same time. Um, but governments need to get in control of the flow of capital, and I'm not sure how they're going to reconcile this right now.
0: Yeah, I also think it's pretty cool that he referred to Ether as the fuel for Ethereum, and that's something I think that as, you know, If we were to see a lot of these cryptocurrencies kind of settle out, we have that frenzied period over the last five months or so, and then people can really start focusing on what they are use cases for. And I think that's the point that everything that's being built on the Ethereum network or a lot of these ICOs, what you need Ether to kind of get into, then you can start kind of drilling down a little bit on broader investment themes other than the currencies that you can just buy on Coinbase.
1: Still ahead, the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett, has a $116 billion hole burning in his pocket. So what should he do with it? The traders will weigh in. Plus, the IPO market heating up as Dropbox files for its public debut. So will it unleash any of the other high-profile unicorns? We've got some clues on who could be next. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Billionaire investor Warren Buffett on Squawk Box earlier today talking to Becky Quick about how he decides what his next big buy is.
2: If we buy something, we don't have the faintest idea whether it's going to go up next week or next
5: month or the next minute. But if I like it, I we, we, we buy it.
1: Sounds simple, right? So with Berkshire now holding over $100 billion in cash, we thought it would be the perfect time to play.
7: Let's make a deal,
1: so which company is next? to Pick best? me, Monty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> next buy for Buffett. <laughs> the traders have their whiteboards ready. So, Pete, why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm going to start her off
6: with United Airlines. Yep. No and here's why. why? They, so he buys into four separate airlines, all jumps in yep. about a two billion dollar investment in each one. And I think of all of these people all say, you know what, what's the worst of the group? I would say United's the worst of the four in terms of how how it's run and managed and all the rest of that. And that's where I think Warren Buffett sees the value and the opportunity because normally when you look at Delta and United, they should be trading somewhere in a similar market cap. Well, right now, United trades half of what Delta's market cap is because Delta's, I think, run much more efficiently, much better. The management over the last 10 years has been much better. United, over the last decade, have had struggle after struggle. So, for my money, I think this fits very much in like Burlington Northern started out like when we sat on this show. Years ago. Years ago, and somebody was selling puts and buying calls and positioning. Warren Buffett do bought you, that company? We call do that you a risk reversal. We pass. do call that a risk reversal. You're exactly Tune right. Tune in Friday at 5.30. Do you think he likes yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> Oscar Munoz? As the CEO?
6: Do I think he likes him? Yeah, I mean, I hasn't he, he always bought
1: companies that where <clears throat> he likes management. the management? Yeah. Yep. He's not an activist investor. He, he's not interested he's in, not. Nece- I mean, from what I understand, his track record. He's not. But I, buying a company and ousting the management.
6: I have to tell you this. Uh, my, and I know you've been in the airlines as much as I have, trading all these various names. I think of all of those out there right now, CEO-wise, the most vulnerable would be Munoz.
3: Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I agree with Pete's going because I think his point is that there's intrinsic value in United right, right. That, that Berkshire seeks out, and they're value investors. So uh, good for you. I'm gonna now give my pick, or should I? Am I moving ahead sure, on my yeah, own? Sure. Yeah. Why now? don't you
1: give your own all pick? Right. Yeah. So I I think
3: I think We're Mr. Bu- Mr. Buffett should buy GM, and again, this is a stock that he actually dumped, I think, six months ago. Um, ultimately, there's a lot of value here. I think when I think about GM and I think about their business over the next. Call it 10 years. I believe this is a business that's going to be very well positioned as the entire industry repositions. I love that call. As they I, move the do, you anyway, no. do you want to no, change yours? No. Your no. No. I love mine. You know what? With
6: 160 Thanks, billion, Pete. he can do both. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> That's a good point. He's, like he's got a lot of money under the cap. He's it's
4: got a fuel. couple free agents. Right. But except go that, big or go home. That free agent hasn't performed now in the last six years. You're right. right. What makes you think he's going to perform under. Gold on there, Cowboy. Puppets. This,
6: this, this. What are we talking about? You know, GM actually has performed pretty yeah, nice. Yeah, GM's, had, GM's yeah. had a nice 12 months, my yeah, man. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what yeah. Stuff you've amigo, been watching.
4: Let's look a little uh, wider out. it's over GM's career. But he's looking at a pick for
3: tomorrow, guy. That's what Warren Buffett does. He doesn't care about the last six years. This company's
0: well positioned at
3: the Which is why you're going to love a five pick.
0: Go ahead. I don't right, think it's you your turn, though. UD? I didn't <laughs> say it was my turn. All right. So wow. I don't know what they drink in Omaha, but they drink this everywhere else. It's Starbucks coffee. And you think Too about fancy this. is 27000 No, it's not really. When you think <laughs> uh, about it's it. Buffett. It's McDonald's
3: he coffee that. drinking
0: kind well, of God. I know, but, but, but he is. But when you think about it, this stock has actually set out the rally over the last year or so here. And, um, you know, I think the reform broker, you know, in your program, mm. Josh Brown, oh, t- he shut you TRB. down today. What he said about shut Buffett, you down today. he said that he is a GARP guy, a growth at a reasonable price. I think that's what you have here at Starbucks. Who did that shut down? Wait, I, think he, I think he shut down. Oh, but I think this is an that's interesting one. I don't word know here. what show you watch. Know.
6: That's crazy.
0: Half done. <laughs>
6: yeah. Well, you should.
0: Is that it? Yeah.
4: What
1: well, do you? Uh, nice shirt, guys. About uh, Stop buying your pick. shirt. Yeah. What are you gonna say? I think Starbucks is a little
4: rich valuation. Thank wise. you, guys. I, mean, I don't know why Mr. Buffett's into that. I would think Mr. Buffett would be more a Dunkin' Donuts kind of guy yep. than oh, a Starbucks. But that's just me. Yeah, well, not you cheap think either, mystery, by the way. You think of iconic <laughs> brands, structures <companies laughs> that have been around yes, for a long guy. time. Store, right, that stand the test of time. Mm. Some that have fallen on hard times. What, what says that more than Macy's the great M? Now, hey, you think about Brand that. Real We're estate. talking about a company with less than a $10 billion market cap, albeit big debt, but a huge real estate interest as well. Mr. Buffett could come in, put his seal of approval on Macy's, maybe dress up as Santa Claus in December this year, not unlike what they did on Miracle on 34th Street, and that sucker goes from 27 to current price to 40. like that. Would that be the
1: only reason why it goes from 27 to 40? <laughs> well Because, seems, because Mr. You know Buffett it's bought a it.: Question: it seems to have turned
4: the corner. Uh-huh. Off, the, off those <laughs> lows that we have seen. Their holiday season wasn't a disaster. This blue mercury stuff isn't ridiculous. And I think there is a chance that the
6: stock will trend. Did higher. you buy that shirt there? It wasn't a disaster, was I it? Know. Seriously, did you, you buy that shirt, shirt there? That's a selling <laughs> point. Did you buy that
4: shirt Why, there? Why would that be a first good thing first or of all a bad thing? Of thing all, this
1: happens I'm to be I'm just asking, me asking a question. Went away for
6: two weeks,
4: I brought out a new shirt. It's a great shirt.
1: I think it's a nice you, shirt. It They make it in your size. That was.
3: Oh, it's always so good to deliver that one.
1: Anyway. <laughs> never fails. There is one thing we know Mr. Buffett likes, and that is Apple, and apparently so do options traders. So Dan's going to break down the options action.
0: Yeah, it's funny. So in Apple today, you know, call volume was one and a half times that of puts. And when you think about that sort of action today, most of it came, though, in weekly calls and puts. But the most active strike was the March 2nd uh, weekly 180 calls, 36,000 traded, an average price of about a dollar. When you look at that sort of activity, that's just punting around. That's short-term traders looking for the breakout. The breakout on uh, on Friday's close would be 181, and that's just above that prior high here. So, you know, again, this is a stock that has also been very range-bound over the last few months. It did not have the sort of gains that some of its other – Thang cohorts is it in Thang yeah. is it? Oh, well, they've know. added
6: it to it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, in the but extended Thang.
0: But yeah, the extended. Fang. I guess when you think about it this way, if you're buying the 180 call for a dollar on Monday, you are playing for a one and a half percent move, a breakout to the upside. So to me, you know, just a little short-term trading.
3: Nice. Where can we do. learn more about what
0: you like do. that, you Melissa? You can learn
1: more th- about things like that on Options Action, which is our, our show on Fridays <laughs> at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. It will be back as well. I'll wait. Yeah. Well, Sweet. Uh, Still ahead, Dropbox gearing up for its public debut. One tech investor says it could <laughs> unleash a flood of other unicorn IPOs this year. He'll tell us which one could be next. Plus, with a recent tragedy in Florida, many investors are taking a hard look at socially responsible investing. But is investing with the moral compass the right move for your portfolio? The answer might surprise you, and we'll explain why with Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The biggest tech company to go public since Snapchat is now waiting in the wings. Dropbox falling for an IPO on the Nasdaq, and that could open the floodgates for many more IPOs.
9: Deidre Bosa's got all the details. Hey, Deirdre. Hey, Melissa. Well, Dropbox is one of the oldest tech unicorns around, founded in 2007, and its last private market valuation was $10 billion. But investors have wondered if the company is actually worth that much. So here's what we do know from its S1. It has 500 million users, 11 million of which are paying customers. Revenue grew 30% last year to $1.1 billion, while net losses shrunk by 47%. But guys, on the risk side, revenue did slow in 2017 from the previous year, and Dropbox warns that it may never be profitable. Dropbox also says that its actual number of users is lower than 500 million, as one person may register more than once for the platform. So there could be double or even triple counting here. Now, the question is, can its financials get it close to 10 billion in public markets? And how could that set the tone for a number of other aging unicorns? Well, Dropbox names Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft as risk factors, the field that investors will be closely scrutinizing after Snap and Blue Apron fizzled in their debuts amid threats from bigger tech names. Other unicorns will be watching this IPO closely as well. The next big private companies looking to come down the pipe. They include Uber, Spotify, and Airbnb. Guys, just today, head of SoftBank's Vision Fund doubling down on that 2019 IPO roadmap, telling us that Uber is on track. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Deidre Bosa.
1: So with Dropbox going public, will this unleash the unicorn IPOs? Let's bring in an early Airbnb and Pinterest investor, Rick Heitzman, the founder of Firstmark Capital, an early-stage VC firm. Rick, great to have you with us. Thanks. So you're in the position at companies now that might actually go public. Do you watch IPOs like Dropbox and how they trade first before deciding whether or not to go?
10: Oh, completely. I think marking conditions is one of the key factors. And we've been investors in a lot of great IPOs, Going back and then going forward, we have another number of companies getting ready to go. And we look at market conditions, and now is about as good as market conditions as we've seen in the last several years.
1: Are you yourself feeling the push to push them out the gate at this point?
10: Not really. We look at the right time to go. So you look at general market conditions and where the company is. So does the company have recurring revenues? Has it figured out their business model? Do they have the right team in place to get from here to there? And I think that will determine if some of these guys go out in 18 or 19.
1: Who are the next ones to go then, do you think?
10: I think, uh, I think of the decacorns, we call those decacorns, ones are such big unicorns are worth over $10 billion. But if you think about Lyft, I think Lyft's trying to get out before Uber because you never want to be the second guy out in your space. So I think that's going to get ready to go out. I think Spotify, we should see in the next 100 days that they're going to even try a direct listing. I think that'll be a big, uh, big IPO, especially for New York, where they have a ton of people.
1: Do you see any unicorns where you think they should stay private as long as they can at this point?
10: Well, I think Uber until they figure out their issues. So they have PR issues. They have driver issues. They have unit economic issues. That if you go through all the things, I think Dara a great CEO, but all the challenges he has to face, that's not 2018 challenges. That's probably 24 to 36-month challenges.
0: Rick, with some of these consumer-facing brands that we see up on the screen that may go in the next couple of years, what do you think, other than raising capital, is the biggest benefit for a company like Airbnb to go public?
10: Well, I think those companies are going to have to go out eventually, right? There's going to have to be liquidity for not only their early <laughs> investors, but their employees. And a lot of these companies care deeply about the employees. So if you're going to go out at some point, you might as well go out when there's great market conditions. So you've figured out your process. you probably built a consumer brand. You have great financial results. You have great market conditions. You're, you know, sometimes great, you know, good is the enemy of great, and you're trying to just find a good market time to get out.
1: All right, Rick, we're going to have to leave it there, but always great to see you. Thank yeah, you for your, your time. You. Rick awesome. Heitzman, First Mark Capital founder. Pete Nigerian I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, you know, Rick was talking about these great market conditions. Are they great in your view? I think the market
6: conditions, yes. Um, and it, when you talk about the names that he, he brings up, yeah. you better still be accelerating, not decelerating in terms of your growth. That was the problem for Snap.
1: Right. And we've seen what happened with Snap here in terms of stock price. Still ahead, Delta, Hertz and FedEx all taking a stance against the NRA. Is this good or bad for investors? (laughs) The answer might surprise you. We'll explain why. And we're live at the Nasdaq market site, of course. Don't go anywhere because we've got much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. After the most recent school shooting in Florida, activists are taking aim at the gun industry, and their first target is an unexpected one, Wall Street. Leslie Pickers back at headquarters with all the details. Hi, Leslie.
11: Hey, Melissa, that's right. They're investors, lenders, and owners of weapons manufacturers, and in the wake of the tragedy in Florida, the financial services industry is taking a hard look at their exposure to the weapons industry. Bank of America, as well as BlackRock and State Street, say they plan to engage with weapons manufacturers to improve their safety. Blackstone, reached out to outside funds where it owns equity positions and asked managers to explain their exposure to the gun industry. But Warren Buffett today said on Squawk Box that he thinks companies should be cautious about being too political, that he doesn't think that Ber- Berkshire Hathaway should say they're not going to do business that own guns. And just last hour, FedEx rebuked the NRA, saying the company, quote, opposes assault rifles being in the hands of civilians, but they did stop short of changing their policies. NRA Members receive discounted rates on FedEx shipping. The company says they have never set or changed rates in response to their, quote, politics, beliefs, or positions on issues. Melissa. All
1: right. Thank you very much, Leslie Picker.
11: Tim, do you want your company
1: to wade into these social issues?
3: Well, I I tell you what, I think from an investor's perspective, because I'll I'll speak at it, you know, from someone that's invested in companies that either are doing things in SIN stocks. So, I mean, for example, I actually have been investing in liquor companies and tobacco companies, and they've been fantastic investments. Whiskey's a you look at that ETF, yeah. it's up almost 40%. Ultimately, I think you get to a place where investors need to make this call themselves, and that's what it comes down to.
1: We ran some numbers here, took a look at the S&P 500. Environmentally and socially responsible index compared to the performance of the broader S&P found that both indices moved pretty much in tandem over the past five years. As of Friday's close, both, both indices are up around 85%. So with all that said, would you do it? Invest? With your moral compass, Pete. In, I, would invet, I,
6: would, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I would invest. I would. Yeah, I would invest my moral compass. But you know what? I understand everybody's side. And obviously, Mr. Buffett, I think what he, the way he laid it out is actually the right way to do it. If you, it's all about what the companies are and what they represent and how you feel about that. If you, if you don't want to be involved, you don't have to. There's a lot of stocks out there.
1: Would any of you buy a gun stock? Let, let's say it had the same metrics, the same growth rate as... As a great growth stock that we talk about all the time on the show, like at Google or, you know, whatnot. Does that change your mind? So the
4: politically correct answer is no, under no circumstances. But, you know, you're you're trying to buy buy things that are going higher. So the short answer
1: is yes. Got it. Up next, final trade. One final trade tonight, Pete. CL Colgate. All right, that does it for us. Great to be back,
2: guys. <laughs> guys <laughs> come on, Pete. Great so so right now. Oh, nice now.
0: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX, with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower. The ZDX is their most powerful
10: SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.